0: Good day, and welcome to the Frontline Chatter Podcast. My name is Jarian Gibson. I'm coming to you straight out of Nutanix next. So today, I have a special uh, co-host who's been on our show before, uh, Case Baggerman of Nutanix, and we have some other Newtons on the line.
1: Hey, good evening. Hey. Is this is Case. Thank, thank you, Jarian, for the introduction. Um, it's a hard a hard place to fill in uh, Andy's, Andy's spot, so I brought some uh, some reinforcement from Nutanix
2: dwayne here i don't have the the coding prowess but uh tme at nutanix kind of centered around vdi and dr cool and hey guys this is uh steve Poitras here principal solutions
3: architect and uh do a lot of our reference architectures as well as write the uh, nutanix bible happy to be here
0: so um, very happy today to have you know three of the newtons online today um just fresh out of nutanix next um congrats guys on your first conference um I was down there, enjoyed a couple of days in Miami, enjoyed the location, and you guys had a ton of announcements and um, today's show is all about you know next and those announcements coming out. So uh, again, congratulations and look forward to many more conferences from Nutanix.
2: Yeah, it was great i'm uh, I'm stoked even up for the next one, just kind of building on the the momentum we had uh, last week. and that's going to be in, in Sydney, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know why I thought that, but I was on uh one of your I don't know if you're competing or friendly podcasts, the EUC podcast, and I I thought for sure I heard Sydney and I was pretty pumped. I think uh I guess my my love of rugby was getting the better of me.
0: No, those are those those are friends of ours over at EUC. It was good to see you guys on the podcast yesterday, get another episode out. So, um it, it we're all friends and it's always good to see others out there as well. Um, helping in this industry, you know, EUC and virtualization storage and everything else in between. So um, thanks again for joining me today, guys. I appreciate uh, your time. Um, One cool thing I got, though, from from Next was in my goodie bag was um, a printed copy of the Nutanix Bible, which comes in handy. So thank you for that, Steve.
3: Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to uh, have the first official printed version of it and uh, definitely one of many more to come.
0: So let's kind of get into the, uh, the meat and potatoes of the podcast. So you guys had a bunch of announcements. Um, probably one of your biggest ones was um, Acropolis and your extreme computing platform. And I, I know even before the announcements and um, even after, you know, there might be a little confusion of Acropolis and then the Acropolis hypervisor. So can you guys kind of talk into what uh, Acropolis is and then kind of um, the, the KVM piece, which is actually the uh, Acropolis hypervisor?
2: Yeah, well, I think Acropolis is kind of a, a catching of the distributed storage fabric. It's also the VM management, which is today just on, on KVM, but the next pit stop is Hyper-V and will kind of continue down, down the road to ESXi2. And then the other kind of the mobility piece, the at-mobility fabric, which has you know uh, VM placement, um, VM conversion between different hypervisors. And I think that was one of the one of the big announcements that I don't think people um, or it wasn't leaked anyway. Um, I guess the Acropolis hypervisor was kind of people knew that was coming, but the App mobility fabric was was pretty mind blowing.
0: Yeah, so it was good to see um, with you guys taking that kind of agnostic route of the Acropolis being able to manage, um, you know, starting today and going forward, the hypervisors you guys managed underneath Nutanix platform. And not just you know equate Acropolis to KVM because it's so much more than that.
2: Yeah, you know, working the the demo booths on the floor, I kind of <laughs> I kind of got like you know people would come up and like they're you know there was actually quite a few who were like you know I almost got the sense they wanted me to paint paint a picture of this this. Kind of doom and gloom story for the rest of the industry, where you know Acropolis is going to take over the world, but we're not. You know, all of those hypervisors are, you know, they're they're on the same par as like first class citizens. I just think there needs to be a way to kind of transition into the new set of applications, and and how do you get there? And I think Acropolis is really the tale of you know we don't really have a lot of legacy stuff to deal with, you know, Luns and uh, Ray groups and all of those things, so like how how do we position ourselves to get to the the next level not this is our kind of fork in the road
1: i do think that the demos that were shown in um in the in the keynote were really good uh, i think it shows the the power of of the one click um like the one click uh, provisioning the one click remediation and and the one click upgrades that, that we're working on so I really like the like the demos of of um, of all the announcements, but especially the the, the one click uh, migration.
2: Steve is kind of he is our probably our Mister Acropolis. I don't know, Steve, what what's your was your kind of take on this show? Yeah,
3: no, I I think it was great. I mean, obviously, I would say it's very similar to you know how our Nutanix product was you know four years ago. You know, Acropolis is early stages for us, but it's a very very grand vision. Um, You know, obviously starting out with uh, the Acropolis hypervisor based on KVM and then expanding into Hyper-V and vSphere. The other thing is, you know, all about the cloud management piece and integration. I mean, it's really, as Dwayne was talking about, that app mobility framework, you know, the ability, number one, to move a virtual machine or data between different hypervisors. But then also, you know, there's the future possibility to potentially do that out into the cloud. So, if you have a service or an application where you need to migrate resources, or if you're over-provisioned internally, you know, using that framework, you can you can actually dynamically migrate resources off to you know an AWS Azure or Google Compute Engine, um, you know, very easily without having to require any massive reconfiguration. So, yeah, def- definitely some very exciting stuff. And I mean, it's early early stages right now, but uh, there's a lot of good feature, for
0: it. And some of those features are not in this current version of. Of the NOS, but the next version after this, correct?
3: Correct. Yeah. So these are like a four, five X. So, I, but I we're, you shi- wanna-
1: we're shipping KVM uh, for a while now. Do you know what the reason is, uh, Steve? Oh, why we were shipping KVM for a while? Yeah. Well, why we? Why? Why uh, did we ship KVM and didn't make a big announcement of it yet? Because um, it's in the product for a while now.
3: Yeah, I mean, so KVM has actually been out for a, a very long time, and actually a lot of our largest deployments are actually running on KVM. Um, I think the the biggest thing is, you know, we just wanted to have soak time to really build those, you know, feature sets that people require from, you know, a Hyper-V or a vSphere, uh, you know, around VMHA, uh, vMotion, live migration, all that sort of stuff, uh, as well as, you know, make sure that we were feature parity with a lot of our other existing solutions with, you know, our current vSphere and uh, Hyper-V implementations. So I think it was just, you know, get soak time on it. Um, but then another thing is obviously we wanted to make a big announcement for .next, So that could be another reason why we were a little quiet about it.
2: I, I like to point out, too, the demo that was on stage, like the demos were, that were on stage, those are, you know, that wasn't vaporware. That was actually legit stuff happening in the background. So, you know, it, it is close to, uh, to coming out. It's not like it's, you know, three years away.
0: Yeah, I think they announced Q4 this year, I, th- I think possibly, um, possibly seeing some of those features come out and in, get into public's hands. So um, some very exciting things you guys are doing. And, you know, along with the crop list, you guys have the prison piece as well. You announced, you know, the management, the operational insights, um, what if analysis, troubleshooting uh, again, more looks like sounds like more feedback. You guys taken from the field and, you know, baking it into the product and making that be able to to scale as you add more nodes as well.
2: Yeah, bang on. I think we have, uh, you know, the, the scale out story is, you know, if you own the data, you can do so much with it. So I think it's just kind of building up on that ownership and using really just intelligence. Like there's obviously people far smarter than me within the company, thank God, um, working on those things. But though, like they're distributed engineers. I, I, I always like, Karthik's probably the poster child because he always gets kind of grabbed for the cube for videos, but... Man, he's just uh, the whole. You know, we have a team of Karthiks involved that are kind of building out all of those feature sets.
0: So, out of the uh, announcements <clears> coming out, you know, what was your guys' you guys's favorite announcements? You know, shipping today and looking forward to the four point five release.
2: I'll let uh, I'll let Steve take that the first one.
3: Cool. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the. Uh... Of the, of the announcements, the stuff that we're shipping today, I mean, the Acropolis stuff, I mean, is just really, really massive. Um, so I've actually had a KVM and Acropolis running in my lab environment for uh, multiple months. now. I actually converted all my production workloads over to it. But, you know, just the simplicity at which you can actually provision, manage, and operate these environments uh, is very, very amazing. Um, so that's what I would say is definitely my biggest thing from a currently shipping perspective. Uh, And then future, I think the dynamic on-the-fly hypervisor conversion, I mean, that's going to be a very interesting thing. Um, So the ability to dynamically change hypervisors to, you know, tweak based upon your actual environmental, uh, you know, what's going on in your environment. I mean, that is a very, very uh, exciting thing, and especially that it's done, you know, within one click and all live. So no data migrations, no downtimes, nothing of that nature. Basically, you just say, I want to migrate these hosts to KVM or to N hypervisor. And uh, it'll actually re-image those. All your data is there. It'll convert the data. Um, and basically, it's all automated. Uh, so that's a very exciting thing and a lot of potential for that one.
1: So yeah, I think I think I need to agree on uh, on, on that one, Steve, that um, moving VMs from hypervisor to hypervisor, depending on on like the workload that they're running, um, I um and this is a shameless self plug, but I wrote a blog post about that a couple of years ago and it's really cool to see uh, that it actually happening and, and and being part of of the company that that, that really um emphasized on this vision. So it's um I I think that was one of the best announcements uh, uh made at, at next, together with the community edition. I, I really like that the fact that we're uh, the delivering to the community as well, uh, enabling people to play around with our software without having to buy a, a full block.
2: Yeah. I think if you, like when Steve Harrod kind of coined the term software defined data center, uh, I think like the truest form is really VM mobility, that VM living wherever the heck it wants to go. So that's, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah.
0: I, I would agree too. Um, you know, having that the mobility, portability of that VM and you being having the tools inside of your stack to be able to orchestrate that um, is, is a pretty neat feature that you guys have coming out in a, a coming edition. The other one that caught my eye a lot too was the virtual NAS. Um, you know, being able to use um, file services with Nutanix for, for SMB and, and and so forth. And I know Case and I had a little discussion about this on the, uh, the on the floor about different use cases for it. So, what, what are your guys' take on the virtual NAS piece that, that's coming out as well?
2: I think it's personally, I think it's amazing because I don't know how many times people want to know how to architect their Microsoft DFS and kind of, you know, there's lots of things you need to do, but so just like really taking that burden off and have it fully automated. Um, and really like it, it goes so far, the booth demo anyway, um, actually would show that every file folder was distributed amongst all of the nodes. So um just super easy to get to get off the ground, and then you, you kind of bake that in with all of the other features that are kind of baked into Acropolis and replication, and it's uh, it's pretty highly available or will be when it's released.
1: It's 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 a it's good to have an integrated solution for user data and and uh, user profiles. Um, and uh, Tim from Choice Solution did ask a very smart question during uh, the the session. Dwayne and me um, and uh, James from Toyota and Jeff Renard gave. During next on VDI best practices. And one of the questions he uh, asked was if the um, the virtual NAS would be available for metro availability too. And we got confirmation that it's going to be available for metro availability. So uh, you can build your uh, scale out, I available uh, virtual NAS on Nutanix with the upcoming releases.
0: That, 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 that's great news to hear too, because I know one thing that you and I talked about, Case, was about, you know, putting your PVS and EDS images in there also for having some, uh, scalability replication of those among the file servers. So it seems like it will, um, bring a lot of, uh, take away a lot of that discussion and and headaches when you're designing a a EUC environment, you know, where where to put certain things and how to make sure those are always available. And, you know, not in just production, but in DR also with with using that Metro availability.
2: Absolutely. I'm not, uh, my, my Citrix, Admin time is probably fairly low compared to the rest of the people on the podcast. But man, I don't know how many times I've destroyed my PVS images. So (laughs) I'm just happy to have the the rollback portion uh, (laughs) for this kid. (laughs) Well,
0: even too, no matter what solution you're using, just the profiles and and folder, you know, types of folder redirection, those type of things, the, the user persona, you know, being able to, whether it's Citrix or VMware or vWorkspace or whoever. Um, being able to to put those on there and, and have that one less piece of having to go in and figure out or using DFS or using Active Passive or using, you know, whatever. Um, you guys having that inside the product helps out a lot with, with some of those discussions.
1: I think it fits well into the vision of Nutanix for simplifying your data center. It's just another part of the puzzle.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, and the next piece too, you mentioned it briefly, uh, Case, was the the Community Edition, um, something that I've had for a little bit, um, given some feedback about some um, some things to help improve it. And it's good to see that officially announced and to start having people in it. So um, do you guys want to talk about Community Edition a little bit and um, you know some of the things you, you can do with that in your lab or, or be able to test out uh, Nutanix without having to um, necessarily get, get the full hardware in-house?
1: So... Um, I haven't tested the community edition myself, but one of the, uh, so the feedback I got from the community edition is that it's easy to set up. Um, but, uh, one of the, uh, the downsides is that you probably need some, some, uh, specific hardware to do so. Um, uh, but luckily one of our Nutanix technology champions, uh, he, um, uh, he presented about Community Edition during NEXT, during one of our unconference sessions. Um, and he has a virtual instance of uh, of, of uh, Community Edition, too. So if you want to download it or if you want to... So you can download it and run it within uh, VMR Fusion if you want to.
0: Yeah, I was actually uh, in that session. It was pretty neat to see that that they created a three-node cluster during that session. Um, and you know two of the nodes were you know, traditional server hardware, and the third node he brought up on inside of VMware Workstation, or I'm sorry, VMware Fusion, right on his MacBook Pro. So, you know, from getting into playing with it, you know, you can start with a single node. Um, you can do up to four nodes um, in a cluster, and I believe you get all the features um, of the Nutanix platform except for, I think, Cloud Connect and Metro Cluster you don't get. Um, but it's nice because you can start with, you know, two disks, um, you know, one having to be SSD, um, and then go from there and, you know, test out uh, KVM and, and Acropolis and um, majority of the features of the 10X platform. So it, it's good that you guys are finally getting that out there, um, being able to get that in the public's hands. Um, I know I had a little hiccup with it. I gave feedback and now that issue is fixed um, within the public release. So you guys have been pretty good on the forums of, of supporting the product as well.
2: There's been some really good community warriors though. You were one of them. Um, There's also someone I the name eludes me, but he must have worked for like a financial uh, place because he was running Newtanic. He was running the community edition. He was fairly concerned about um, some of the the latest security um, patches that went out, and he does a pretty good job with engineering to to get at them too. Um, and that's probably kind of goes into some of the stuff that was put into. 1.3 around round security too. that kind of aided that, but yeah, there's community. The folks involved have been really helpful with that.
0: So, yeah, so um, kind of getting more in, into some of the stuff here as well. There was this big term that you guys are talking about invisible infrastructure. So, you know, for our listeners who may not have been at next or have been following the announcements, you know, what is invisible infrastructure mean to Nutanix? Well,
2: from my perspective, it's really hard, hardware by itself really doesn't deliver any value. Users really don't care about it, right? They don't they don't call call you up and start talking about CPUs, hard drives and storage latencies. They're more focused on the application. And so that's where kind of where we want to head from that perspective, giving all of the bit twiddling, just really eliminating it and so you can kind of focus higher up the stack. You're like you don't You don't really, when you wake up in the morning and flip on the light switch, you don't really think about the electricity, the power dam, or in my case, probably a coal plant somewhere in Alberta. But, you know, it's just kind of get on with what the end goal is. And it's really, there's few businesses that operate to make money using infrastructure. So,
3: Yeah, I mean, realistically, infrastructure you know, compute server storage network. I mean, it's really just a means to an end, which as Dwayne was mentioning, it's all about the applications, the services, uh, that's actually running on top of those. And, you know, I think, you know, it's all about abstracting all that. So you can worry about your applications, your services, the things you actually care about and not having to manage those low level intricacies that are really just nothing more than, you know, a means to an end.
0: So there you go. You can this take on invisible infrastructure and, and helping, um, helping make things a lot more transparent inside your, your data center um kind of getting back to the Acropolis and you know with some of us on the call being EUC guys um you know I, I had some back and forth with some people on, on Twitter about Acropolis and and what, what should be supported um you know from a data center side it makes perfect sense um but from a EUC side getting that broker um, integration is going to be a, a key point for that on the EUC side. So when you're looking at some of the, the players in the market, you know, we can not make throw VMware out the door because they only support their hypervisor. Um, and, who, and who knows if they're going to support Acropolis to be able to talk to VMware. I, I doubt that, but you, you think of the two, two uh, major players out there would be Citrix and uh, Dell V workspace, um, you know, being more open and supporting multi-hypervisor, And so, you know, having that uh, integration with uh, Acropolis, I think, is going to be a a big uptake in in the EUC space. What are your guys' thoughts on that?
1: Well, um, I I do agree that it would be great great for both Nutanix and uh, every other vendor to, to have support for Acropolis. If you look at Acropolis... Um, as a subtraction layer to your hypervisor. You could just talk to Acropolis and let Acropolis talk to the hypervisor and it doesn't really matter um, on what hypervisor the VM is running and you get that VM mobility stuff that we're t- we were just talking about. Um, but then again, uh, it, it will take some time and some effort from from uh, others than Nutanix to uh, to have that incorporated and... Um, um, uh, I guess the, the, the conversation is, is started and uh, we're working hard to uh, to get um, Acropolis supported for VDI or server-based computing uh, solutions too.
0: Yeah, it it seems like uh, a lot of the, the tweets I was involved with last week during the conference, everyone was hung up on, on KVM, KVM, KVM. And I kept saying, you know, get past kind of the KVM support. You know, the Acropolis piece will support more than just KVM let the brokers talk to Acropolis and then let Acropolis talk to um, handle the hypervisor underneath and that, that's where you guys come in t- to do that validation just let the people who do the, the brokering piece talk to um, the Acropolis piece and that way you know yes they're going to have to make sure that the, the VDAs or the agents for their products works on the OS on the hypervisor but as far as like the integration for you know the images and, and the cloning and the, the power pieces you know just talk to Acropolis for that and let Acropolis handle everything else that's, that's kind of my take on it.
3: Yeah, and I think that's actually an extremely big and an important piece, right? Because, you know, you could actually have, you know, one single integration from, you know, whatever broker to the Acropolis API. And on the back end, we might be running three different hypervisors. So, you know, for those things that need vGPU, that might be used running on top of uh, ESXi or vSphere. Uh, for those things that, you know, need some of the Hyper-V capabilities, that might be running on Hyper-V. Uh, and then for those, you know, desktops that uh, can actually run on top of KVM or where they don't really care about uh, some of the items, you know, those can run on KVM. But the thing is, is all you do is you have the broker contacting or communicating with Acropolis. You set your policies from a high level perspective. And then realistically Acropolis can just decide where desktops need to go uh, and really, you know, make the hypervisor transparent in that sense.
2: Yeah. I don't think, go ahead. Yeah. I just don't think like, If you're installing an agent into the desktop, um, there really wouldn't be a lot of work from the the Acropolis side for the REST API just to to deploy them out. But you could even kind of do blunt force trauma and just (laughs) do the copying too. But yeah, it's interesting anyway.
0: Yeah, because today you you can pretty much run on, you know, from a Zen Desktop's perspective, Zen app perspective, you can run on any hypervisor you want. It's just more about the integration of the provisioning and the power management now if, if you didn't want those features you could certainly do that today um with, with Acropolis or even KVM but you wouldn't have the complete integration you know it, it would still broker the connections it just wouldn't have any any more of the the brokering features inside of it um my other thought too is with Acropolis are you guys still playing with or looking at SVMM in the mix or are you taking that out and I have to ask that because if you listen to our, <laughs> our previous shows, you know, um, my, my co-host Andy Morgan, you know, and I are kind of, you know, not really the biggest fans. I know others aren't of SCVMM. So in the Hyper-V mix, are you guys bypassing that and just having Acropolis talk directly to Hyper-V? Or how does the Hyper-V piece work?
3: Um, well, yeah, I, I can probably cover that one if you guys want me to. I mean, one of the, if you think about uh, Hyper-V and SCVMM. Uh, realistically, all the actions and activities you can do via SCVMM are exposed directly by each Hyper-V host via PowerShell. Um, so basically, you know, we can directly integrate on top of the Hyper-V host without actually having to have SCVMM in, in the mix. Um, with that said, I'll caveat it in saying that it is very early days, um, so the actual exact integrations may change. Um, but from a Hyper-V perspective, there are no strict dependencies on SCVMM. Uh, for the majority of things, besides, you know, there's some stuff with logical networking, uh, things around that nature. But um, it does provide a lot more integration abilities uh, where we could potentially take that out of the mix. It would also depend on what applications or things are platformed on top of it. So Azure Pack, as an example, uh, is built on top of the SCVMM constructs, So that might be one scenario where SCVMM would be a tight requirement for that mix.
2: Steve, yeah, with the, if, if if jail would you give card? Do this-
1: if, <laughs> so if you would do desktop virtualization uh, based on Citrix, um, you could—I mean—you could easily point your desktop delivery controller or, or PVS to Acropolis without the need of SCVMM, and you could do SCVMM for the uh, 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 cloud connect part with Azure. So you're not relying on SCVMM based on your desktop infrastructure, but you can use SCVMM for your uh, for your cloud connect. So. Um, I guess it's two separate worlds um, looking looking at a propolis uh, and uh, um, doing a solution without SUVMM based on desktop virtualization and having SUVMM in the mix for the rest of the stuff you needed for like cloud connect
0: yeah so, so basically you know it's kind of taking that route to where it's it depends or it's optional but it's not going to be required um, unless you're doing it like like a certain feature like like cloud connect which is good to hear. Um, you know, I, I wish more vendors would take that stance on on an optional or make it dependent only on a certain feature, than making it required across the, the board. Um, but yeah, I, I won't go down that rabbit hole of that conversation. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So I look forward to you know to you guys working more with, with some of the vendors out there and, and getting that um, support in the in the EUC space. Um, ho- hopefully, we'll see something in the future from Citrix and or Dell or or both. You know, uh, supporting. Um, direct integration with, with Acropolis. Um, you guys also announced some other enhancements um, as well and some more of your your configured-to-order models also. So in, instead of having those set models and SKUs to pick from with uh, only a handful of options, you're, you're taking pretty much the whole line and making it... Um, you, you can pick and choose which pieces you want. Um, have you guys seen a lot of requests from that from the field? Um, and is that going to... Um, Further help, you know, the Nutanix um, out there because people can actually, you know, more uh, fine tune what, what they need on the systems from a hardware perspective.
2: I think most, you know, every every customer is different or perceived to be different anyway. So it definitely it helps quite a bit from you know the kind of had this got brought up at the end of the the UC podcast too about you know having options and specs on on what you're doing. So it'll definitely help. Um, it has the possible opportunity to make it more you know not as simple I had a, a good chat with Ron Ogle Ron Ogle's be on the same topic about you know you were at once had a very defined set of hardware so it was like you know you just slap it in and go but luckily there's been a ton of work put into Sizer.Nutanix.com, which like basically you know you put in your requirements and it spits you out the bomb so um, it yeah I think it'll be very powerful for for everybody.
1: So it's a very
0: nice
1: camera. Yeah, go ahead, Keith. Uh, oh, I, I, I. <laughs> uh, or hey. Um hey. I agree on that one. Um, I'm, I'm getting pulled in a lot of, uh, of VDI and server-based computing sizing discussions, and I really, uh, I really like the fact that we can do a, a CTO, so we can fit model for this specific customer because not everybody wants to size their desktop according to uh login VSI profiles or um you know there's always this this separate use case that needs more resources than than you would expect. And with configure to order we can um better uh, we can make a better fit for our customers.
0: Very good, I remember that started with the three thousand series and then you guys would expand that now to the all the different models you guys offer. So uh again it, it's good to see that coming out out of next as well. Um and, you know, we, we kind of talked about 4.3 a little bit, but um, do you guys want to talk about it a little bit more with 4.3 just coming out, some of the new um, features enhancements?
2: I'll talk about one that was kind of, it was out there, kind of hidden, um, but kind of, so mixed clusters. So um, both the ability to take a ESXi or Hyper-V cluster and add a KVM node into the mix that can offer just kind of a, a more cost effective way just just add pure storage so that's kind of like one of the building blocks for the application mobility fabric is you know having a mixed cluster so that was kind of i found it interesting there wasn't really a lot on it but um that was one that came out with that
0: no i was gonna say yeah that was an interesting feature as well because it was also helping with with deployment too to where um you know instead of have, i think that helped change some of the the foundation piece as well um, when it originally set in the cluster up and then go ahead and changing out the hypervisor underneath kind of like one node at a time, correct?
2: Yeah, so like today, the it's only a 6035C, a cold storage node um, that's allowed in that mix. But that that is the process for the app mobility fabric that we'll, we'll go ahead and do that. I think, uh, you know, kind of the next probably long-term plan is to get, while you can't run any vms on that kVm node in that mixed cluster today, the next piece will be able to run the the, the file services on those nodes and then kind of just keep keep growing it out over time
0: nice and then you're getting ready to mention another feature before I, I jumped in on the on the mix cluster
2: just one that happened to be at the booth that people seemed to really like, and I think it was because. Of it depended on where you sit in the management stack, but the top of rack visibility that you know I talked to guys are like man i don't I don't have any insight into the networking, so they were they were pretty happy to get you know basically find your v m click on the NIC, then be able to track that right down to the the physical switch port um seemed to be actually one of the the top things I ended up talking about dwayne, get yeah,
1: correct. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, this is for vSphere only at this moment, right?
2: Yeah, just uh, vSphere today.
1: <laughs> All right. And the thing I really liked was the, uh, the in-guest iSCSI support. Um, I know that uh, one of my di- direct team members, Josh Augers, is really passionate about having exchange on NFS and why Microsoft uh, doesn't really support it as of now. Um, and in a lot of conversations where the customer really wants uh Microsoft supported configuration. We we now can do in-guest iSCSI for both Exchange and, and and SQL. So um it's it's furthermore expanding the use cases for Nutanix on a Microsoft supported platform.
0: And another one too was um the sync replication where you guys uh expanded that to other hypervisors also as well, correct? Um because it wasn't yeah. uh, it wasn't that limited in the past, but now you, you expanded support for that as well.
2: Yeah, now Hyper V as well has the ability to do uh, sync rep between two clusters. Um, and I guess we, I
1: guess we need to ask Steve for erasure coding part. I think he he's the man for that part. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, erasure coding
3: uh, has actually been in the product for a while. It's just been something that has been hidden. Um, and just uh, finally, publicly released and announced here. But I mean, Erasure Coding. Those familiar with RAID concepts, or RAID 5, or RAID 6, or RAID DP, uh, you are essentially taking strips or chunks of data, and then calculating parity based upon those, so you can recalculate that data in the case of a failure. Um, it's a really nice thing because rather than having to, you know, maintain a replication factor, which is what a lot of hyperconverged players are using, where essentially you have a primary copy of data and then a replica or two replicas of that data, you know, that can lead to a fairly substantial overhead um, and reduce your actual usable capacity versus with razor coding, because you're actually doing parity calculation and you don't need an exact duplicate of that data, uh, you actually get much smaller overhead. So um, you know, if, uh, if we take a look at a traditional strip, which is you know, I would have four data blocks and one parity block within this strip, uh, which is equivalent to an N plus one or a replication factor two availability, you know, rather than having a 2X data overhead, I'm actually only seeing a 1.2X overhead. So definitely some very nice things in terms of uh, actual uh, increases to usable capacity with erasure coding.
2: Yeah, I think the one of the, you, you talked about the interesting part for me, just that that strip size is adaptable based on the, the size of your cluster. So that's kind of neat. You don't have to really, do anything and just it'll go on its merry way and give you your storage back.
0: Yeah, and one more thing too, I saw as well was um, back on the, on the Prism side was the uh, the app framework um, where it was kind of like briefly talked about a little bit, and then I saw some tweets um, from from Andre and from Liquidware where they did some stuff where they bought they brought some of the the Stratosphere pieces into Prism using some of that app framework. So something else I'm, I'm looking forward to learning more about that feature as well to be able to to bring stuff into the Prism interface and, and to have some of that information and, and metrics all from that single interface.
2: Yeah. If you have the ability for a REST API, you can really kind of jump into the, you know, the own, really the Nutanix app store and kind of get your, get your gear inside of uh, the Nutanix framework. I know uh, talking to the the rubric guys that were at the show, you know, they're, they're fairly interested in that too, but uh, they today they only they only support ESXI but um, but it'll be interesting.
0: Yeah, I've reached a brief, uh, chance to talk to them too, and, and they're kind of doing um, on the on the backup side and, and changing the, the ways that backups are done. So it was a pretty interesting product from those guys when I was talking to them um, about how their 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 take on how they're doing backups and integrating with uh, Nutanix platform as well
2: it uh just <laughs> distribute all things like like even uh <laughs> what what was the other one v armor they had a distributed security as well they were at the show um it was kind of it was kind of neat actually seeing the the vendor community there um it was great so yeah, so kind of
0: one last thing we briefly talked about um Nutanix next uh, twenty sixteen in sydney but uh, actually um you know you you guys had <laughs> about uh <laughs> about a thousand um thousand attendees at, at next and um, for the conference and pretty much maxed out what you could do at uh, the Miami location. So um, they announced next year you guys are going to Vegas. So um, congrats on, on your first conference and, you know, good luck for next year for 2016. And uh, I'll, I'll be sure to see you guys out there in Vegas. Um, also, if you guys are, looking to check out Nutanix in in your labs or or play with the Community Edition, make sure to go sign up for that. Um, Again, you can start with uh, the Community Edition with with a single node and and two hard drives. um, Either a single SSD and a regular spinning disk or do all SSD drives. But uh, make sure to check that out. Um, And also, uh, there's plenty of videos out there that go more in-depth about the announcements and and features of what's coming in 4.13 along with um, 4.5. So make sure to check that out. And for even deeper information on Nutanix, make sure to check out the Nutanix Bible um, by, by Steve as well. Um, and if you're at the conference, you're lucky enough to get a hard uh, copy of that. So um, thanks for joining us today on the Frontline Cheddar podcast. Um, my name is Jaron Gibson with my guest, uh, my guest co-host, uh, Case Baggerman. And thank you to uh, Dwayne and Steve from Nutanix also join us today.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us on.
0: All right, everyone have a good day. Bye.